file is part of the Swiss Libri Lecture Podcast series. Feel free to share it with friends, family, and colleagues, but we ask you to respect our copyright. So feel free to share it online, but preserve this message and don't modify the file in any way. Also, the views expressed in the lecture and discussion time are not necessarily representative of the views of Libri Fellowship. Hello again. This is uh, the Libri podcast here in Switzerland. Um, just wanted to thank everyone for all the interest that we've gotten so far. Uh, it's been very encouraging for us, especially when there's not much going on here. Um, today, we're pulling out another lecture from the Mothballs, really, this one. Um, this one's given by Prisca Sandry. Uh, for those of you who have been here and have met John Sandry, this is his wife. Um, and uh, she's also uh, just worked here for a number of years. Um, this is her lecture on depression, which was an issue that was very important to her and she struggled with a great deal. And uh, we just thought it would be interesting to pull it out and uh, let everyone benefit from something that was done a long, long time ago. Um, please be patient with the uh, audio quality. It was recorded on tapes and uh, you can tell. So um, best of luck to you and uh, I hope there's something in here that's encouraging. Several people have asked me to make a tape um, giving some of my ideas on depression that usually I share on a one-to-one -one basis. Actually, I've gone over these notes with dozens of people. So, this is a tape, not a real lecture, but just a list of practical ways um, practical ways of coping with depression. There are lots of kinds of depression and many, many people have a problem with this. There can be depression that comes after an illness, after feeling very weak, after an operation, after having a baby with hormonal change. Um, there can be a deep depression brought because of a uh, very, a shock, a change in one's life, someone of the family dying, a change in one's whole lifestyle because of some sort of crisis. And then there's also a uh, type of depression that seems to come, come and go without much rhyme or reason. It's part of one's temperament seems as if when one has gone through some kind of stress in one sense or another in one's life that one's reaction the threat of the stress on one's body and one's psychological state uh, for some reason sets off a depression and these notes are really practical notes on how to cope with how to cope with depression when one is deep in the hole or when one is on the limit just skirting skirting depression or when one has had lots of trouble with depression in one's life and one wants to prevent it and live a life uh, where 
one is not constantly being pulled down by this, but be able to prevent it before it grabs you, so to speak. This has been something that I personally have had to deal with ever since I was 15 or 16 years old. I can actually remember uh, the day that I suddenly realized something was terribly wrong. We'd had many changes in our life. We were in a, in a, living in America, having left Switzerland for a year. There was much stress. We were living in a tiny, crowded little house. There was the heat. It was Philadelphia, and it was a hot, muggy summer. And very often, temperature changes uh, are a factor, too. Um, studying in America was a new kind of pressure. Uh, it was a stress. In other words, all kinds of stress. Personal stress, change in rhythm, uh, temperature, illness, greater responsibility. All of these things that are high on the stress levels suddenly came together and clicked off a great feeling of fear, anxiety, panic, uh feeling totally uh, shut off from real, regular, normal enjoyment of life. Um, Great nervousness, far beyond the the normal reaction for what was actually meeting me at that very moment. Uh, When one thinks of the future, one feels totally... Black about it when one sort of searches for who am I, identity again, one feels that one comes up with a very poor answer. When one one realizes what's my relationship with God, one's reaction is all off. You look at the world going on, people sitting around a picnic table having a picnic, people watching a TV program, someone calling to another person and waving their hands, and you think all these people around me are living normal, real life. They can react and talk and and communicate with all the people around them. They're enjoying the thing, life as it appears to them at the moment, but I'm not. I'm on the outside looking in, or rather, yes, on the outside looking, and they're in real life. And it's a sense of dread and anxiety. Uh, a terrible feeling of horror, wishing that one could have any just plain old physical problem rather than this mental dread that's deep in the inside and that no one else sees. Sometimes um, one reacts by getting into bed and not wanting to move and sleeping hours and hours and hours. Others, like myself, find that one wakes up at three, four, maybe has a hard time getting to sleep in the first place, and wakes up early in the morning with your heart pounding, dread right there, even before you think of what's hitting you, and a nervous sort of dread that keeps you sort of antsy and not really able to relax, all wound up. Uh, Different people react in different ways. Now, This tape is coping with it 
on a day-to-day basis, whether it be a temporary thing because of a uh, something specific or whether it be more of a permanent sort of temperament thing that this is the way your body reacts or your mind reacts, your self reacts to pressures, to sicknesses, to changes that just come in normal life. Um, this tape is how to cope with it, how to survive, and not only that, to look and be able to accept oneself and get along very cheerfully and really without a fear of it, losing one's fear for it and losing one's dread for it. But uh, this is not a full coverage of how to deal with depression or what different things to try because I think one, each person should try many different things who has this problem should try many different things. First of all, going to a doctor, a sympathetic, understanding doctor who understands depression, uh, testing oneself physically to see if there's something wrong because there's so many physical ailments that one of their um, symptoms is depression, thyroid problems, a hormonal imbalance, blood sugar problems, a uh, certain lack of, uh, new, of certain nutrients, um, these things should be tested. One should make sure one's in good health and and trying to see if one can find out what is the cause, why one is reacting to um, tenseness or to shock or in this way, why one's body, if there's something physically wrong. Um, also, there is definitely a time to talk to a wise counselor and to go back and to see where this pattern began and to talk over different attitudes towards life, um, to our relationships with people, how we do see ourselves. This is very good. And I would really uh, recommend that one do, does this when one's gotten over the hump of depression, when or in times when one feels healthier, because we'll see why in just a minute. Uh, also, spiritually, one's identity before God, who God is. Uh, there's really a time to spend much time in prayer and to think, to examine oneself before Him. Also, I would say, to be done in a healthy time, not when you're down in the depths of depression. Unless maybe it's the first time, first depression, and one can get out quickly. But if this is part of your background of going into depression, it's, it's a um, more sort of a chronic state of how you react. When one is at one's weakest point, also I do not think that this is the time to spend long periods analyzing yourself before God, and we'll come to that in a minute too, why? If, on the other hand, you who are listening to this don't, uh, have never experienced depression, and it's maybe someone you know, and you're thinking, well, what can I tell them? How can I help them? Uh, I will give some, some ideas here, but one thing 
one attitude really is don't tell someone, oh, well, just have more faith in God. You just got to come closer to God and you'll be all right. Also, don't tell somebody, oh, well, don't feel this way. Why do you feel this way? Why are you feeling so panicked and fearful and, and like nothing? Uh, you have two legs. You walk. Think of someone who's in a wheelchair all day long. Think of the next-door neighbor who's battling with cancer. Uh, think there's so many more people who are suffering more than you are. Just be cheerful. Just be glad for what you have. There's nothing that makes a depressed person feel worse than to have this kind of advice. It truly is in a sense, Job's comforters type of advice, people who really don't understand the situation at all. Because very often in depression, being depressed is the most awful thing state that you can be in, and you would want to be anything but dissonant. And the thought of, well, why do I feel like this? I feel so, in, I, I am inferior. Uh, I have no reason to feel this depressed. Uh, it just makes you feel more guilty when you're, it's pointed out to you all the wonderful good things that you have. Because you, your mind is going that way already. You're thinking, oh, I have all this. I have no reason to be this way. And here I am. I'd rather be anybody else than be what I am right now. But one doesn't just resign oneself to the state. Active fighting is possible. And it's a call to active fighting to get over the hump and to live a preventative sort of life so that one doesn't have to just keep falling into the same old hole over and over again. That, that I'm making this, why I'm making this tape. A call to this, because it really is possible. Alright, before we go through some practical things, let's examine attitudes first. Attitudes that we have to fight against. We have to come and realize, first of all, maybe for the first time, and then afterwards, use, convince ourselves over and over again. Speak to ourselves. Yell to ourselves. I've written them on notes. I've kept these notes in my Bible's, Bible now since, oh, I would say at least 25 years. When one set of notes wears out and it's getting toward the end, I copy it to the next. Because there are times when I'm depressed that I cannot just yell to myself and talk to myself and talk myself out of it. I'm beyond that, and I have to have it written down, written down in a list to remind myself, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. First of all, attitudes. Attitudes. Being depressed does not mean that you are guilty, spiritually, as a Christian. It is not great people of great faith that never get depressed. Some of our great hymn writers, some of great Christians, um, have struggled with depression all their lives. It is not a sign necessarily of guilt spiritually. Now, as I said at the beginning, there are all kinds of depression. And one can have perhaps done one very terrible thing, disruptive thing, in which one really does have to come and bring it to Christ and be forgiven and realize I can put it behind me, Christ has washed me, I'm forgiven. Sometimes this can trigger off a depression, but that's not the kind I'm talking about. I'm talking about this chronic state where because of tensions, because of sicknesses, or when things get too much, somehow we just react by feeling very depressed. 
And that's what I'm talking about. And to be this kind of person, not guilty spiritually. When I first was 16 years old and had depression, I remember seeing a doctor and he went, because I, my parents thought this would be a good thing to, first of all, see if there was any physical reason. And they gave me a very good exam and they couldn't find any anything specific. And I remember the doctor saying to me, but you come from a fine Christian uh, family, Prisca, and so just have enough faith, God will pull you through. Well, God did pull, give, pull me through by giving me what I'm going to share with you now, a list of very specific, very practical things to do. But it wasn't some sort of state of great deep faith, some spiritual victory that I got and I got over Instead, it was a gift of just practical things to be able to do that kept me in a coping state of mind, being able to live without being pulled down with depression. No, not guilty spiritually and not inferior mentally or physically than other people. I think when we have that looking from the outside in with everybody else sort of uh, living real life and we feel like we're on the outside, not sharing, We feel like, oh, look at all these people. They're real people. They're living real life. They're enjoying talking to their children. They're enjoying taking a trolley, a a bus. They're enjoying getting on a train. They're enjoying uh, sitting there in the sun, just sunbathing. I'm not enjoying anything. I'm hating this. I have this dread, this anxiety. All those people are real people, and I'm not. And one gets to feel terribly inferior. It just so happens. We're not inferior, and we're not guilty spiritually. It's not just big lack of faith. For some reason, and I really am convinced that medicine is studying more and more, uh, research is going on more and more as to what are the things that happen to one when one is in a depressed state. And one has, and all kinds of things have been, uh, been discovered, and many of the new antidepressive medicines are really helping. They, without just sort of tranquilizing you the way they were in the 60s and the 70s, just giving you a tranquilizer to quiet you down. There are really medicines that realize that your amino acids in your brain are being destroyed after you, for, for one reason or another. Why? That's what we don't know. Why in some people does this happen? And it has to be, and th- th- those have to be replaced for a while until you're making your own and you're more in a stable position. And I really do think that as more research is getting going on, they're going to eventually find out actually physically what happens in stress and strain in some people to give this symptom of depression. A little trick that I use is I think of it as no more anything to be ashamed of than, say, chronic rheumatism in my knees or chronic sinus trouble or, or hay fever in the spring, people have physical quirks. They react to certain situations the way some other people don't. And even though it's just terrible to have hay fever uh, when the when the Swiss flowers are coming out in the fields and so on, uh, and you think, oh, I wish I was somebody who didn't have it, still, there's nothing uh, inferior with a person who has who has a hay fever allergy or chronic rheumatism in their knees. No, and it's just okay. The quirk of this in this abnormal universe 
none of our bodies work 100% the way they should, and we have uh, different reactions. And when I get uh, sinus trouble, and I get chronic rheumatism in my knees, well, I have to do make myself comfortable and take medicine and do the things that best will relieve it. Uh, same thing with this little list that I'm bringing you and how you cope with your depression. It's nothing more guilty, uh, nothing more guilty or inferior about having depression. There are hundreds, thousands and thousands of people in this world that have a reaction. Half the people that you see out there living their normal real lives, they are uh, battling with this too. And you look normal and real as you talk to your friends and and you sit there and someone else is thinking, oh, I wish I could be like him, I wish I could be like her. Uh, It just so happens that this is a problem that many, many, many people have. And you're not inferior, it's just like somebody who has chronic rheumatism. I actually think, you know, I, I take my mental temperature or my, uh, to see where I am, and I apply this list more or less stringently depending whether I'm up and down or down on the thermometer of being close to, be, to being fragile and vulnerable to depression. Sometimes I really am in strong periods, and that's the time I can spend more time uh, analyzing, thinking, working hard uh, in, with my mental, with my mind. And then other times I'm more fragile and I have to start putting some of these things into practice really sort of carefully. And then sometimes because of, say, an illness or I've pushed it too much, I haven't caught it, and then I'm sinking down and I think, okay, now I've got to be really stringent with how I apply this. And and I think, uh-oh, here's my chronic rheumatism, mental rheumatism again. Here it comes. Okay, Prisca. Now with the rheumatism, um, with mommy's arthritis, for example, she takes aspirins, special kind that are coated that don't hurt her stomach. Uh, we have our things as we get to know our bodies and ourselves that really do work. So my list is not going to be exactly like your list, but the idea is to have hope to think I can fight, and now it's up to me in the next few months that are ahead of me to find out what really helps and to keep my own list. So first practical thing is start keeping a list, maybe first of all a negative list of the things that really hurt you to, and make it worse to keep away from them, and another list of things that really help. This helped today, this helped today, this helped, this really helped. Write it down, because when you are feeling uh, really, when you're feeling down, you, you forget all this. And nothing seems to help, and it seems like it's gone on forever, and it will go on forever, and there's a hopelessness feeling about it. So first of all, keep a list. Secondly, uh, and your own list. Uh, and now, back to the attitude. Not guilty. Not inferior. It's just, okay, this is my weakness. This is my thing. Some people have weak knees, and I have... I have a weakness towards depression, and that, it's no more uh, it's a pain in the neck. I'd rather not. It's not something I accept joyfully, but it's nothing to sit here and feel like I really am a leper. 
Secondly, are an added, the fear of it. One fears one's going to go crazy. One fears one's going to lose complete control. And then one fears just one doesn't want to stay in the state of feeling. Uh, and, and there's nothing here that I can just say that would just take the fear away from you completely. But let me tell you, when you start really coping with the depression, not feeling guilty, not feeling inferior, getting a list that really works, and you work through it, and you work through it, and you work through it, and you get so that you really can prevent it over and over and over again, and then when things get out of control, like, for example, one, uh, when I was in my 30s, and I'd been, okay, dealing with this list in my early 20s, uh, I got into a situation in which my son, who was eight years old at the time, was very, very sick with double pneumonia, and then he didn't react well to the medicine. He had viral pneumonia, and the antibiotics didn't work, and it went on and on and on, and finally he was at home nine weeks. And I was sure that on top of his pneumonia, there was a reason why he wasn't getting well, that he probably had leukemia or something that the doctors hadn't found yet. I worried beyond what I should have. I didn't take care of myself at all. My notes went completely forgotten because of the crisis and the pressure and and, and so on. I kept living an active life. And by the time he was getting better, after all that time of strain, I got a terrible virus that was very debilitating and I sunk down and when I sunk down and got sick I did more than sink down but I went into almost a nervous breakdown it was a little nervous breakdown okay it was a very good lesson for me because I saw Prisca you got into into a situation in which you didn't use what God has given you these notes of prevention you didn't take care of yourself at all and now you're paying for it and so I was so sick at that time that I couldn't just work myself out of it with this list. My husband had to have the list and go down through the things with me and see and take care of me and slowly pull me out. But I did get out. I did get well. And you lose the fear when you realize that you really can prevent yourself from getting worse. You can pull yourself out. You can calm the left. Real convalescent. If you're in depression now, what you need is a convalescent period to get yourself back up on the line again. You can convalesce, and slowly you do lose your fear of it. I've lost my fear of it. It's not something that reigns and dominates me at all, um, because I know I will feel better. It not, it, there isn't this sense of it's going to come over and over again, and you're going to get worse, 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 and you'll never get out of it. I don't have that feeling at all. So. Losing the fear is something that comes with experience as you convalesce and you prevent and you put a way of living and coping with it into practice and you find out it works. Next in attitude, something I've already touched, uh, that it's, there's not necessarily just spiritual answer, just have faith, get closer and closer to God, perfect peace with God. There is a sense of peace and rest with God. But... And we can recognize that all the anxiety and, the, and our weaknesses, whether it be chronic rheumatism or, or whatever, is just part of a battle in the fallen world. We're not called to a world without struggle and without groaning and without hurt. Uh, this really is my cross at this time, and I have to learn to endure and deal with it as a task in battle. But that's not how I work through to, to, 
to deal with it. I know that in my saner moments when I have things more in control, but when I'm feeling fragile and I'm feeling down, often I find, now this is a very personal thing, each one of us is made differently, but I found, other than reading the Psalms and realizing that David went through times where he felt just as lost and down, and yet he comes to a point of being able to trust God again, and that comforts me because I know he is understanding at that point. Um, I find often that just, oh, help God, help Father, here I am again, you take over and let me get going to fighting with this. And I hand it over to him, and then I don't spend hours reading books on spiritual depression or on praying with friends or finding out if there's something wrong. This is not the time for it. Just like also in a secular way, it's not the time when I analyze my past and find out, well, what was my pattern in my childhood? What led up? Is there something, a key that will help me? It's not the time now. Later on, there'll be plenty of time to pray, to learn what lessons the Lord has to teach me as in my weakness I come for his strength. Later, there'll be plenty of time to analyze and to probe and find answers from a spiritual angle or from a psychological analysis answer. But the reason when one is feeling very fragile, when one is down, when one needs to convalesce, the reason why that's not the time, or when one is, or when one is just on the brink of falling over, when one feels very weak, the reason this is not the time, and this is just a key, key lesson, and I have it under number four, big underlined, wasted energy, wasted energy. It's wasted energy to try to analyze, to try to pray, to try to think it through at that moment because at that at this time when one is fragile, when one is down, everything is seen from a wrong perspective and you're not going to come up with the right answers. Everything is seen and felt from a wrong perspective, all distorted. It's just like seasickness. And so I have number four, wasted energy, seasickness, and a turkey dinner. And it's the image I use over and over again. If you're on a little boat in, out in the sea, on a yacht, say, or something, and the ocean is very rough, and you're feeling very, very seasick, and you're rolling around in your cabin, and someone knocks on the door and says to you, Oh, but you want something to eat. Uh, we're having roast turkey for, for, we're having roast turkey. And do you want chestnut filling or do you want onions and bread filling? Well, someone says to that to you, when you're retching with seasickness, all you'll do is turn around and vomit. And then if you were, were in a state which you thought you didn't, which you didn't understand your seasickness, you didn't know about seasickness, and you thought, oh dear, but normally I have a good appetite. Normally I love turkey. Normally I love chestnut sauce. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? A normal person has appetite. A normal person eats. So you think to yourself, I'm going to, I've got to find out what's wrong with me. I've got to make myself have a good appetite. Just have a good appetite. Of course, I'll eat turkey. I'll eat turkey. And the more you say that, the more you vomit, the more you vomit. Because you're not dealing with it as knowing, hey, you're sick. You're seasick. 
You need to get out in fresh air. Little sips maybe of Coca-Cola. Maybe a, a um, seasick pill. Maybe get back to, 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 to flat land. Then you can think about turkey. Then you can decide what kind of stuffing you want. But right now, to just force yourself to think of that turkey is like, it's just going to make you vomit and be worse. Well, mental seasickness is what depression is. And it distorts everything. And you feel nauseated mentally when you start thinking about, well, what's my position before God? What's my relationship with Him? Who am I? What am I as a person? Oh, oh how about my past? Oh, I've got to read the spiritual book. Anything that's introspective that starts touching deep inside yourself just makes you more nauseated, more depressed, more down into that swirling deep hole because you're seasick. Your head is seasick and so you're not going to come up with the right answer. And it's wasted energy. So in the morning when you wake up and suddenly you think, here's another day, here's another depression. Oh, here you are again. Why are you like this? What, it isn't so bad your life right now? What? Just, hey, hey, stop it. Wasted energy, wasted energy. I'm fragile right now. My mind's not working right. I'm seasick. Wasted energy. Let's get on with something else, but not introspective. You're fighting introspection, whether it be from the spiritual angle or whether it be from just analyzing it uh, psychologically. But you are to have an attitude of fight. Fighting against that inward introspection, it's not easy because when you do feel down and when you, you do feel so inferior, you do feel so horrible, that you keep wanting to see, well, how do I feel now? Now, let me see. Like, as if you had a sore in your arm and you keep t- touching it and keep pulling off the scab and pulling off the scab. It's not going to get better. Same thing here. All your introspection, your inwardness, is not going to get better. You've got to fight touching that soreness. Fight going inside yourself and analyzing or dwelling on the anxiety, the blackness, some suicide or not suicide and hopelessness. Or, uh, and you've got to fight catatonic apathy for the people who just lie in bed. You've got to get up. You've got to. All right, now let's come to the fight. How? How do we fight? Well, as I said, each one has its own individual list. So this is already part of the list. These attitudes, and so on, to remind ourselves. But here is the next part of the list, how to fight. Individual lists that work different at different times. Make your list after when you get an idea of something that really has helped. And I find after a time of you've had a jog, gone jogging, you've gone for a swim, or there's usually a best time of the day, that's when to make your list. A plan of attack, a plan of attack. You're going to fight this thing until you see how best you as a person can cope. Remember, in three levels, when you're really down deep in the hole, it might be putting this fight into practice stringently for a period of six months. When you've just had a stressful time and you're just on the edge, it might be, well, just for a week. When you've had stressful time, it might be, oh, just the first three or four hours of the day are bad. And so you do that for maybe forever. Other times, it'll be for just an hour. In other words, it's a plan of attack depending on where you are on the scale of your depression, either as a preventative thing or as a convalescent thing. Now, 
start early in the morning. So you put early in the morning as the first point of your list. Get up versus just sleeping or your heart just thumping with black anxiety in bed. Before I get up, I usually sort of take a swallow, okay, tell myself, wasted energy if it's just all black. Wasted energy, come on, stop dwelling on this. And then just to stop myself dwelling on this, I reach out and see what I can actually touch. My Remember, the aim is to get from dwelling on the inside of yourself to the outside world. So you try to, I say, enjoy, but how can you enjoy it? You're deep down deep. You might, in a depression, you might enjoy something for two minutes during one day, and that's already a victory. But if it's just a preventative thing, then you're going to enjoy tons of things during the day. So again, depends on where you are on the scale. But first thing I do is reach out. Just feel the cover. Just feel the blanket. Feel the night puff. Feel the clean, cool sheets. And say to yourself, Talk to yourself, nice sheets, nice sheets, nice sheets. Oh. If you hear the wind, nice wind blowing in. You hear the rain pattering, nice rain. Um, get up, look out, see the sky, enjoy, nice white cloud, ooh, blue, gray fog, ooh, cold gray fog, nice to have a cup of tea because there's cool, cold fog out there. In other words, you hang on to the weather, uh, textures, Look at that rock. Mm, nice texture of a rock. Uh, and then you start your day made up of actions and a routine. A root, get a routine to get yourself going every day. Um, and this is where it's going to be a very, very uh, personal list because each one's personal list and the way you live your life is going to be different. But what you're aiming for are little stepping stones from the time you wake up through your morning until you're just living life without having to fight anymore. Little stepping stones of enjoyment, islands of enjoyment, till you are into the outside world and not just dwelling with that anxiety, fear that you have on the inside. Uh, remember you're refusing analysis, introspection, deep thinking, dwelling on psychoanalysis or depression, or even other people's deep problems, other people's hang-ups. You're, you're not thinking about that now. It's wasted action. This is not the time. You get up. Maybe the first thing you do is exercise, physical exercise, jogging on the spot, going out for a jog outside. Maybe that's part of your routine. Sometimes that's the first thing I do. But I, but I, very often, the weaker I am, the more fragile, the more it has to be really fought for. Like, oh, slippers, nice slippers, nice slippers, nice slippers. Oh, bathroom, nice bathroom, nice bathroom. Downstairs, once, as being a mother, one of the first things I do when I'm not feeling well is throw a load of dirty wash into the laundry. Oh, now I've got that into the laundry. Put the soap in. Oh, nice wash. I haven't done anything except put soap in and push a button, but already I'm doing something. I'm getting something going. Then I turn on the radio. I, my particular joy is I get the BBC. And I like those, well, those nice English accents and the voices. I get to know the different announcers 
and my day has started. The outside world, it's not my inside world thinking, it's the outside world hitting me. I enjoy that. Listening to the news, listening to the music, listening to the pitter-patter of conversation on the radio. The weather. What's the weather going to be like in London today? What's the weather like here in Switzerland? And so on. And it's a routine. It, I, when one is, is churning inside, outside, regular routine gets you going into the real world. Um, people laugh at me because I, when I, I tell them very often that um, one of my special little things, I mean, are the plants that are growing, water the plants, the nice plant, or light a candle. I have a candle all the time on my kitchen table. It's always there. And and I light it early in the morning, especially in the winter when it's dark outside. And I get a nice little flame of a candle, and it burns so brightly. And I might just spend a few seconds just gazing at it and enjoying that flame. These aren't very deep things. They're very simple things, but they're part of a routine without thinking, how am I going to change myself as a person? How am I going to get rid of this? How forever and ever? How am I going to be totally different? None of that. Wasted energy instead. Simple little life. Turning on the radio. Enjoying that candle. I'm Prisca. Enjoying this candle. Um, breakfast. You have your routines of your breakfast. A nice cup of coffee. A nice cup of tea. A nice cup of hot chocolate. nice piece of toast with honey on it. Um, you're fixed on simple stepping stones, little islands of enjoyment through the day, and it just goes on. And depending on how deep in the hole, you might have to do this for three or four months of every day. It's tiring because you're fighting all the time, and of course you don't have big total victory. That introspection, you want to pull off that scab so badly and see how do I feel now. And, and, and the funny thing is when you start to feel better or happier, then immediately you think, oh, I'm feeling better. Why? Look, maybe I'm my depressed. And that depression just comes two times worse, that feeling of dread and anxiety over you. So you just, and then you laugh at yourself and you think, oh, I pulled at the scab, I pulled at the scab, come on. Look at that bird out there, etc. And, uh, these simple stepping stones can be a cloud, a breathing in fresh air, taking a walk, branches against the sky, uh, leaves on a tree, uh, the sun, sun where it is in the sky. It doesn't have to be a beautiful sunset, just watching it. Uh, making your bed, getting your bed made, a little order done, some sort of chaos turned into order. Mm, nice bed. Pull that blanket tight over it. Ooh, that looks good. Oh, these dirty clothes on the corner. Get them out of sight. There, I've done that. Nice, etc. Um, then, all kinds of things help uh, to put into your routine, and it depends on who you are as a person. It can be nature, bird watching. I listen to the bird calls, and I, float, I know the names of the birds, the familiar birds that are around our house. And when a different bird is there, then I get out my binoculars if I, there's a call I don't know and try to see if I can locate them. And I keep a running little routine diary. Not every day, but say every week or two weeks, I, I write down when a uh, baby red starts uh, in the road at Eddie Ruscha's house. Uh, first swallow of the, of the season, first cuckoo. Um, on the feeding table, we had eight different kinds of birds today. 
and, and I name them. And then for flowers, too. Learn the names of flowers. That's if you're living in Switzerland and where you're wildflowers. But one has one's nature routines, learning to live in the seasons, that, so you really enjoy them. So just as a simple thing, now this is October, this is what October, the smell of burning leaves, or the crunch of, of leaves on a tree, uh, a crunch of leaves falling off the tree under your foot, uh, and then the winter months, what January's like, what I keep a, a weather <laughs> diary, too, by the toilet. I write down each day what the weather was that day so that I can go back and say, hmm, well, how much snow did we have last January? Uh, little things like this that have come because of my hanging on to these simple stones and stepping stones through the day have turned out to be lifelong joys and part of myself. At first they were just to enjoy life outside of myself that so that I could fasten on it, and now it's become something so rich and so great, and I love people who, I love books about nature and and, and read and, and wish I had another life to go be, uh, we have a friend who, 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 for five years, he's been studying the barnacle geese living in England and goes up in the Arctic Circle every summer and so on. Uh, I'd love to do something like that, and I won't do that in this life. Mine is a very much an amateur thing. But still, I love to read about it, see movies about it, etc. So nature. Music is another joy. And you find when you're in a depression that there's certain kinds of music that you can't listen to. It's like the analytical probing. Um, it's not a time for Schubert's quartets that are probing and deep and everything. It's time for a Haydn symphony, all settled and normal and sunshiny and full of life. Um, it's not time for uh, deep rock music that might have very significant words and really is talking about the absolute lostness, alienation of man. And you're feeling lost enough. You don't need that now. Now, there's times when you come on your healthy side and when you're fine on the scale that you do enjoy Schubert and you do uh, be able to uh, listen to different, read big novels and certain kinds of movies and everything that make you think. And you understand very much their questionings and their longings, but you have a sense of uh, normal coping with it sort of life and you have your feet on your ground and you're not wasting your energy. You're not seeing things from wrong perspective. So there's a time. So you get to know when's the time to do one sort of thing and when's the time to do another. Uh, so music. It can be very light music. You have to remember your convalescent. I find that when I'm really down, I turn to my children's books and I read children's books. And I read things like Anne of Green Gables, and I read Hans and the Silver Brinker and the Silver Skates, and I read um, of the Five Little Peppers, and I read all Pollyanna. I read all kinds of my old favorite childhood books, and I have them. And then I read things like James Harriet and All Creatures Great and Small and that whole series. I have a whole series of books that I just go through and I've gone through over and over and over again in my life, and they're very precious friends to me. Also, it might be very light films and light TV things, and people say, but isn't this just escapism? You're just running away from your problems? You really should be analyzing. You really should be probing. You're just running away. Escapism. They don't know what they're talking about. It's like someone who has a very bad broken leg, and finally, after months of being in a cast, they're asked to walk. They can't run down the road. 
they have to limp and they have to put very little weight at first, but each day a little bit more and 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 go slowly. If they go out and just force themselves to run right away, it breaks again. They do themselves more harm. Same thing as this convalescence. And your fight before the Lord is to be able to not have that dread and enjoy those things outside of yourself, but you can't give yourself, can't bite off too much. Or boom, and then you'll just be more discouraged and more down deep in the dumps again. So you keep it with light little things, things that you can manage. And the more you have as a relief from that deep, tense anxiety, fear, the more you've convalesced and the more strong you've got, uh, gotten. And then, pretty soon, you will be ready for deeper things. It might be the newspaper. That might be your routine, that you get your daily newspaper every day. And you think, with my cup of coffee, I do this. Uh, children's books, magazines, newspaper, light films, music, all different outside garden work can be very therapeutic and very digging in making things grow and getting the weeds out can be something that really does get your mind off of just internal introspection with animals dealing working with animals and walking the dog and things like and just keep being willing just to enjoy it i'm enjoying my walking my dog and we go always down this path and into the woods here and then we come around i've done it i've done my nice walk with the dog and isn't this good Working with children, I, I've had a nursery school here, and working with three-year-olds and four-year-olds who are so much into the little, simple, everyday things, enjoying watching the washing machine go around they do. They enjoy, they enjoy the, just all kinds of very simple things. And they're excited about the first steps of nature too, the first primroses and the little things growing and the little bugs and the insects and, uh, and I find sharing their life and watching them, observing them, and enjoying simple things along with them is a very, very good, healthy, convalescing, therapeutic thing to do. Very complicated, not deeply intellectual, and not terribly analytical. Certainly not the person who's going to lead you into introspection. That's the kind of people to be with during this convalescence time, if possible. Now, none of us can have, and this is the thing, we still live in the real world, don't we? So while we're convalescing, we can't choose the ideal situation, the ideal people to be with at all times. But what we have to do is search in our situation, even if it's far from ideal, to find the little stepping stones uh, for, for my day in actions and routine during the day that I can touch on and enjoy the outside without getting all caught up in wasted energy. This is of analyzing and just pulling myself deeper, deeper down into the hole. Okay, so that's the first point. Actions and routine and all those different things that I've um, mentioned. Secondly, terribly important, is work on your physical body. For some reason, this depressive symptom that comes along with stress and strain it's very linked up with how physically we are. That's the reason when, as soon as we've been sick and we're convalescing, then we're, we're bound to be fragile. And it's terribly important to build one, as one's con- convalescing mentally, uh, it's terribly important to be convalescing physically. And one is, and when one is putting into preventative way, 
you know, just everyday living, even when one's not in a hole, but knowing, oh, I've had several nights when I haven't had enough sleep, or I've had a bad cold and I really feel sick, or, ooh, work has been especially stressful, or, oh, dear, uh, my... Uh, there have been changes in the family or moving or, or any of these things, then it's time to put these things more carefully into practice. And along with it is working on my body physically, which means exercise, daily exercise, some sort of really routine thing that one does, whether it's a good stiff walk, whether it's a jog, whether it's a swim, um, some form of ten playing tennis, some form of exercise that is a not just a hit-and-go thing, but is part of my weekly, at least four times a week, part of my life. Second is sleep. And if I'm in such a deep hole that really I'm not sleeping, until I start getting good sleeping patterns, uh, I'm not going to get well. And so you've got to see the doctor. And even if he has to give you something to help you sleep, it's important you can't go night after night after night feeling all nervous with your heart beating and everything and just heart beating all fast and just missing your sleep. But then work on sleeping patterns and work on relaxation exercises. Very important. All those good relaxation exercises are very, very helpful. And I had trouble with sleeping on and off all through the years and from time to time I'd have to take something. But I never got it so that it would have to be every night for two or three years. It might be for a week during a certain period of time here and there. But I really thought, I don't want this to be the only way I can get to sleep. And then I found that, uh, and I, I would try different things like drinking hot milk before going to bed, having a hot water bottle or heating pad in the bed for, for a while so that the bed was all nice and warm. Um, and relaxation exercises uh, really got me over the hump so that really for now for four or five years I haven't had to have anything to go to sleep. And I've just, with heat and drinking hot milk and getting into bed regularly early, not one night one time, one night another time, but getting into a routine so that by 9.30 or 10, <laughs> if I can, I get to bed by 10 if possible of course there's many times when you don't but still you try to aim for that being your pattern and then um, reading something that's not terribly 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 interesting is your last thing before you go to bed and you can just read yourself to sleep it's not very good for your reading but it is good for your sleeping patterns anyway exercise sleep and then diet not a lot of junk foods not a lot of sugar that's going to just keep you hyper not too much coffee and not too much tea. Uh, vitamin Bs is very, are very good for the nerves. Enough vitamin B, but for vitamin B you also need balanced vitamins. So a balance of vitamins. Calcium is good for nerves and for, for people with depression. Um, stress and strain vitamins with B. Brewer's yeast I find very important. I, I try to work when I'm really down on getting some sort of protein, whether it be a glass of milk or a cup with a brewer's yeast in it or something every two or three hours so that my blood sugar de- doesn't fall because it's not sugar that you need because that just whacks it up and then it comes right down again, but you need some sort of protein. 
that will bring your sugar up and a glass of orange juice is good too. A glass of orange juice and then protein that takes your, your uh, blood sugar up and keeps it there for quite a while. Um, walking. When one is really down in the hole, like the time I had the nervous breakdown, I was on medicine, the doctor did give me medicine, uh, and I put all these things into practice, but I couldn't walk all by myself because I couldn't fight the introspection. I was so deep down, I couldn't fight the introspection. So I walk with my husband, and we'd talk about the birds that I'd see. He'd say, you're a bird watcher, look at that bird. And I'd say, who cares? He'd say, come on, you're a bird watcher, enjoy that bird. And it was with all my being that I had to fight to just even settle on and concentrate and look at that bird to be able to enjoy it. But it was good to have somebody with me who did that. And so whether you walk alone or whether you walk with somebody else depends on where you are and what's good for you. If someone else's conversation just goes on and on and on and you get tired and you need to rest for your mind, you rest to be quiet so you can enjoy the bird sounds and the trees and the smells and everything, well then Sometimes it's really better to walk alone. All right. These are my basic notes. These are my basic ways of fighting. But I have some sort of added things along here, and I'm just going to go through them. It's not, um, it's just sort of little PSs. Um, sometimes depression in women is a cyclical thing, and it has to do with the period, it has to do with menopause, it has to do with just having a baby. And it's something to think about and see. Does it come back regularly in cycles, um, your, the depression? If so, talk to a doctor. There's certain In England and America, there's certain people that just deal very specifically with premenstrual tension and who have all kinds of good ideas. There's something that came out in England, and we can get it here in Switzerland, too. It's called Oil of Evening Primrose. And I've never really tried this, but... I really do think it probably really does help. Uh, it's something that you start taking, and the first couple of months it doesn't help quick right away, but by the third month or something, it's supposed to really make a difference. Ethanol is one of the names, the oil of evening primrose. Of course, hormones, vitamin B6, um, caring for your blood sugar are all sorts of things that they try for this sort of thing. Uh, another note is if keep a journal with your notes of things that really do help and when and things that don't help. How I first started making lists was first of all I would feel better and then I'd think oh you are just making things worse than they were and everything and then I'd feel worse again later on and I'd think oh you didn't really feel better. And I didn't believe myself. I could never see it was wasted energy. I was always coming up with the wrong answer. You couldn't trust. You had a seasick mind. I couldn't trust with my results. So I'd start writing. And when I felt better, I'd look back and see how bad in my journal I really felt. And then I started having patterns of really feeling better. And then when I felt worse, I thought, yes, you felt just as bad as this before. And then you felt better. So look, you don't just stay in the hole. And this is how I sort of slowly work myself out, and then well, started to get to know myself, I mean. And then I started keeping lists of things that really helped, and keeping a journal really did help. Remember before the Lord, your first job is back to stability. And, and I, I can't say this enough, 
those little islands of enjoyment are not escapism. They are your convalescent. They are your hobbling on a weak leg <laughs> until your leg gets strong. And later on, you will be strong. You can look back and analyze. You can start listening to your deep music, maybe not too much of it, but some, uh, and your psychological novels and your whatever your thing is that you like to be more introspective, that's deeper and thought-provoking. However, for myself, I never, I never, and I don't even expect any more total stability that it's going to be something that's just over in the past that'll never bother me again. It bothers me much less because I have lost my fear and I know what to do. But I'm never just totally a different person. But it doesn't matter. And I'm not demanding to be. I'm willing to live on the line. And I'm not frustrated about it. And I haven't gotten over the fear and I know what to do. And so it's no big, huge thing. Now, sometimes, as I said, for a physical, a physical checkup, one needs to see a doctor. One needs to see a doctor from time to time for physical checkup anyway. But to find out if something's happened physically that uh, you need to work on, because there's no use, if there's something that really can be just put right, there's no use <laughs> avoiding it. Um, and if ever something happens, like what happened when Jandy got sick, and you really do have a nervous breakdown or get very down, deep down in the hole because you haven't put any of these things into practice and you've forgotten completely about it for a long period and you get sick at the same time, then do what the doctor wants you to do. Take those antidepressive medicines. Remember that you've lost your elasticity and you can't just jump back. It's like a rubber band. It's, lost. it's no more elastic. And you'll get it back. You just get through each day. Give yourself a good long goal for convalescence. Richard Winters, when I had my nervous breakdown, I checked out all my medicine my local doctor was giving with him just to make sure it wasn't anything really strange. And he said, no, go right ahead and take it. And then he said to me, but Prisca, just give yourself two years before you. this is just a bad memory. And I'm so glad he didn't say, just take your medicine and next week you'll feel better. Because if he had, I would have just kept throwing myself in the hole and being worried, which, you see, that's walking on a weak leg, doing too much for it. As soon as you, all that worry and anxiety and feeling inferior and feeling awful and scare and everything is not what you need for convalescence. So I didn't even think that I would get well for a long time. and just lived through each day, hanging on to my little islands of enjoyment where I could and slowly work my way out of it. It didn't take two years. It was only six months, maybe, or nine months at the most, until I was able to be really doing my normal, everyday sort of living again. But still, I'm so glad he gave me a long period of time like that so I didn't make demands on myself beyond. And then, once you've gotten, you do have worked yourself up into knowing how to deal with yourself and prevent it and you've given yourself long convalescent and you really are feeling better and you've got a good steady routine healthy way of life and living going um, then remember that projects and joy is important having things no matter how hard you're working and you know how responsibility no matter even if you have three little children ages four two and one uh 
somewhere, find some time for yourself to have real projects of joy. And this is where my knowing the names of flowers are going, where I'm, I'm just always on one project after another of just real happiness, just adding to who I am. Uh, can be once for two years it was, uh, English history. Uh, one winter I went through all of Shakespeare's sonnets. I found them very difficult to understand and I'd puzzle and puzzle. Each one would be like doing a crossword puzzle for the evening. I have done crossword puzzles. Uh, New York Times Saturday crossword puzzles. Very stupid I am at them using all kinds of dictionaries, but when I get through one and get them two-thirds done, I feel quite accomplished. Um, it can be my bird watching, collecting rocks, um, stars. I learned all the names of the constellation around the year for two years with a star map going out when I could. Music, as you, anybody who knows me knows, I'm always into one kind of music or another, and I've always got something new I'm listening to and trying to see what it is, whether it's in rock or jazz or classical music. Um, this last year it was choral music. We, we did uh, St. John's Passion, St. Matthew's Passion over and over again to get to really know it. Uh, it's an attitude toward life in which you're never going to stop learning but when you're down and depressed and feeling, oh, I'm in a hole, don't bite off more than you can chew. This is for later when you feel stronger. Then it might be that you're reading uh, The Five Little Peppers with Pollyanna, Rebecca Sunnybrook Farm, and your comfortable James Harriet. The telephone rang, so I hope that this makes sense when I pick up my notes again. Um so remember not to, ha- on one side, when one is going through strong periods, have all kinds of new learning projects and, uh, that you're into and that you really enjoy. Shake yourself up. If you're in ruts, shake yourself up. And take something from the library or movies or music, something that's accessible that's not just impossible. To, we all have things that are accessible to us. And yet, on the other hand, remember that when one is fragile and one is in more of a convalescent situation, don't bite off too much and uh, accept the simple, settle into the simple, simpler things of life. Um, Also, if one has a depression, don't treat it as a hidden shameful thing. It's part of how your body for some reason reacts until they find out what in the world it is physically that happens. Uh, and you can talk about it and cope with it just the way you would with your rheumatism or your sinuses. And um, and then another thing is avoid too high expectancy of yourself or of the world around. Don't be a perfectionist. Don't demand perfect world or I'm going to be depressed. Or perfect, or demand of yourself that you have to be perfect, or you're going to be depressed. We all have our weaknesses. This world lets us down over and over again. Uh, it's a sick world, and the Lord will give me the strength to, day by day, have the joys, the little joys, until the great joy of seeing God face to face. Also, in ups and downs, be careful not to get too up. When one's feeling really happy and really excited and really something, don't use yourself up staying up late hours after hours, 
living. I, I mean, I really, <laughs> I see this every year in July when we have the jazz festival here in, in um, Montreux because for the past years uh, they give on the radio direct from Montreux what's happening in the jazz festival from 10 or sometimes 11 till 2 in the morning. And night after night I listen to this. And when I've had too many nights without my proper sleep listening to very interesting and stimulating music. Uh, uh, it, it wears on me, and after a while, I realize I'm more fragile, and I have to take care of myself very much. So just be careful and be wise. I, I still am going to listen to that music, but maybe not every night. And maybe I'm going to have a really good night at going to bed at eight o'clock in between, etc. Uh, and if there are other outside pressures beyond the jazz festival, then maybe I'll have to give it up because I can't have too many in my life. I just don't demand too much of myself. Coming back to those relaxation exercises, concentrated relaxing. Sometimes it's really good to do this for half an hour every day. Uh, it's good for high blood pressure. It's good for learning to sleep, learning to let go. And there are all kinds of books that give you good relaxation exercises. And then, later when one is in a stronger period of one's cycle or a stronger, you take your temperature, so to speak, and you're in a, find you're stronger, well then there's all kinds of things that we can learn before God. So we look back and see, well, what led up to the special stresses? What stresses? What could I, is there something to learn here? And to, that I can come closer and closer to God so that my fears and anxieties, just normal of every day, are, are less as I find my rest in Him. And forgiveness, stresses of, of, of reacting to people in our lives that, that, that discourage us, that we can't bear to be with because we really haven't forgiven them. Uh, learning to love people around and not demand perfection from my people in my family, allowing them to be the imperfect people they are. Uh, all kinds of things that can really help over a long-term schedule in my in lessening uh, the periods of depression that I have or the stress that leads up to depression, I should say, the stress that leads up to depression. But remember, when I'm actually in it and when I'm fighting it, I've got that seasick mind and I'm coming up with wrong answers. So there's a difference. I'm not saying never analyze, never pray, never read the books on spiritual depression, never never uh, go into something deeply that causes soul searching. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's a time for it and a time not to. And one has to know oneself. And when it's the time not to, it can be really a gift of God to say, Lord, I see my weak self and I'm going to, before your face, do the things that are going to make me be able to cope and be cheerful this day before you in your hand.